Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Healthy Perspectives podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's journey, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, hey, welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, I am going to part two of I Believe. So if you joined us last time, hopefully uh, you enjoyed the experience. Today's going to be a a tough one. We're going to discuss shame. But the I Believe statement is, I believe shame is one of the most destructive forces on the planet. That's a pretty bold statement, but hang in there with me and let's see if we can get there together. I want to start off with the process. What is the process of shame? Like, how does it come about? How do we get to a point of feeling shame? First, we have to explain what embarrassment is, right? We feel embarrassed when we have a failure, it could be any failure, right? The one that I typically uh, describe when I'm working with clients is, you know, I'm, I'm walking up on the stage and I, I fall down. Well, the first time that that happens, I'm like, eh, okay, that was a little embarrassing, right? I, I have a sudden mistake. There's a failure that happened suddenly, like out of the blue, in a public forum. And I value the opinion of those who might have just noticed. If any one of those components are missing, it's not embarrassment. We don't feel it. We don't experience it. If it happens in our home, let's say, and there's nobody around, yes, it's a failure. Yes, it's sudden. But since it's not public and there's no nobody else around us that we're, we're going, oh, well, they might have noticed that. We're really at the mercy of our own opinion. And we're probably going to more easily just go, oh, that was really dumb. And we're going to move on because there's nobody there to witness it. That's an important first step because we experience moments of embarrassment often. That that happens in our day, in our week, in our month, in our year. Like we're, we're constantly going through evolutions of who we are becoming and we make mistakes as we do it. Any of us that are in the in this world trying to live life in a in a way that we believe is good, whether you have the same beliefs in, that I have or not, if you're trying to live life that in a way that is good, you're going to have embarrassment. Now, why is that important? Because the first time I walk on this stage and I fall down, eh, I mean, it's embarrassing. But I move on. However, let's say I have a seminar going and I have three days and I come back to the stage the, the next day and I do the exact same thing. Well, now, all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel not just a little bit embarrassed, but feeling maybe a little bit guilty that I didn't find some way to correct the mistake, right? Like the first time I could chalk it up as a mistake. The second time I should have known. I've taken that walk already. I know that the steps are steep and it's just going to be a little awkward getting up. So I should slow down 
be more methodical, take my time, do it in a way that is safe and not embarrassing. But if I don't, then I start to feel a little bit guilty and maybe like, oh my gosh, I really should know better. And unresolved guilt, guilt that is built over time because of repeated mistakes that we believe we should be able to fix, somehow, some way, we should be able to correct them, right? So it's not like a limitation that is thrust upon us. It's not, you know, if, if I don't have arms, writing is going to be difficult. I'm not going to be able to write very well. Could I figure some way to write? To write? Maybe. But it would have to be a modification. But the expectation wouldn't be that I can, you know, put the pen between my fingers and write. And so I don't necessarily feel guilt in that situation or maybe embarrassment. But I would feel guilt and embarrassment if I had hands and I couldn't write. Even if it was just because I wasn't taught, I still might feel that guilt. And that all repeated mistakes. In other words, I could have learned and I chose not to, or I could have learned and I tried, but I couldn't get it down, but I believe that I should have been able to. Those lead to a devaluation of the self. It's where we say, maybe I'm just too dumb. Maybe I'm just too much of a klutz. Maybe I'm just not good enough. And once we have those statements, those shame statements, starting to enter our, our, our neural pathways, our brain, then the, the shame cycle begins. And that devaluation, which I'll get into in a little bit, but that devaluation is, is where the destruction of shame comes from. Okay, so that's the process. What is shame? Let's go ahead and define it. I, I had a, a group of people that I was working with, and we sat down and we defined shame. It was a very intriguing process. But at the end of the day, I think we came to a really neat definition, and I'm going to go ahead and just share it with you. Any feeling associated with an experience that we believe lowers our value. This is both an internal and an external radar of value. I'll go one more time. Any feeling associated with an experience that we believe lowers our value. We feel like we are worth less, not worthless. It doesn't start off that way. Shame doesn't typically start with, oh my gosh, I am worthless, but I am worth less. And it's an internal and external radar of the value, meaning I'm putting it on myself and I am imagining that others are putting it on me too, or I am putting it on others in the worst case scenario. That's an important definition. Like when we think about the idea of a feeling associated with an experience, that could be just about anything. And if we get caught up in those feelings associated with experiences that devalue ourselves and we get stuck in that, 
you can see how destructive that might be. Matter of fact, many of you out there listening probably know it firsthand. We start keeping secrets. We start telling lies because we're trying to protect ourselves from our own embarrassment, guilt, and now our own shame. The short definition, this is what I often will tell people as I'm sitting with them in in sessions. Shame is self-abuse. It's when we decide that we are not worthy and we literally in our mind will attack ourselves. Oh yeah, you're not good enough. Oh, you're such a horrible guy. Oh my gosh, nobody's ever going to be able to love you. Stuff like that. And I wasn't saying that to be sarcastic, but that's that internal dialogue. In my brain, that's kind of what it sounds like. Okay, we've gone over the process. We have defined it. Now, I got to make my case. I said initially, I believe shame is one of the most destructive forces on the planet. So how is it destructive? Let's look at the cycle of shame. It's self-abuse that starts from an experience where we, come, we, we believe we have less value. And then it goes to more self-abuse. So it's self-abuse, that, that notion that we're not good enough, then it contributes to our experience of the day. We look for ways to confirm our bias that we're not good enough. And then we find them. And then we repeat, I am not good enough. Because clearly, I keep making mistakes. And they don't even have to be the same mistakes. Because when we get into the shame cycle, we literally begin to confirm our own bias. I'm too dumb. I'm not attractive enough. Nobody can love me. Okay? Another reason why it is so destructive is, and I'll address this a tiny bit again in a a minute or two probably, but it's often easier to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves. So once we create this ridiculous cycle of self-abuse creates less value, creates more self-abuse, creates less value again. Once we enter that, then we have to climb our way out of that hole and accept that we are forgivable for not only being in that hole, but digging it deeper and deeper and deeper. Not only digging it deeper, but believing that we belong in that deep, dark hole. Because that's what ends up happening with shame. I want to go for a second into what is the opposite of shame. And when I was looking this up, uh, so in in my study of shame, uh, I, I learned a lot from a, a gentleman named Dr. Shaw. He, <laughs> he talked about what shame is. And... When I started looking up what shame, what is the opposite of shame? I started seeing words like pride, conceit, egotistical, self-absorbed. Uh, so 
in that situation, there would be no lack of confidence. But when we hear those words, if you're anything like me, they kind of make me cringe a little bit. I don't want to be conceited, egotistical. I don't want to be prideful. I want to be humble. I want to have hubris, a good understanding of my place in the world. I don't want to overvalue myself. But shame is the undervaluing of ourselves. It's the I'm less than. These are I'm more than that, that I may actually be. So part of the problem, part of the struggle with dealing with shame is we really don't want to end up at the opposites. We want to end up in the middle, understanding our place in the world, our hubris, where we have strength, where we have weakness. That's where we want to end up. And so ultimately, when we look at what is the cure, the cure, the way to get out of the hole, there's a few different things that are, are, are required, right? I'll give you the components that I, I often teach. And then, you know, again, like I've said in, in many of my uh, recordings, check these out. See if they're in your life, but also see if they're valid for you. I don't make decisions for you. I make decisions for me. I'm doing this in hopes that somebody out there who needs this hears it and has the help that they need to take their next step. So the cure components are supports. Okay. They have to be supports that are trustworthy. And they can come from places that you may not expect. Trust is built off of truthfulness. So anybody who's going to be honest with you and tell you when in fact you're not living up to your own standards is somebody that you're probably also going to believe when they tell you you're just kind of abusing yourself right now. You have to have that person that you trust to give you accurate, authentic feedback. So supports, you got to find supports. Another thing, love. Doing the act of telling you the right thing isn't enough if you don't believe that that person cares about you. The love that I often talk about, and maybe one of these days I'll actually address it more directly, but I talk about agape love, the holistic. I accept you as you are. I'm not saying you have arrived, but as you are today, I accept. And I accept and love who you were, even if that was ugly, because it got you to where you are. And I share enthusiasm for your future. I have I understand your hopes and fears and I I can't wait to see how you play out your story of life. Agape, love. So the right supports that are trustworthy, actual love. Actual love. They have to deeply care about you. Forgiveness. You can see these components are brutal. When we look at how hard it's going to be for a person with shame to get out of that hole, one of these things is tough. Finding the right supports, that's tough. 
experiencing real, true love, agape love. We're not talking about romantic love. We're talking about, I accept you as you are. If you're filthy, disgusting, I accept you. If you're amazing and wonderful, I accept you. If you're somewhere in between, I accept you. Right? That that real love, I, I, mean, I take you as you are, and I believe that that is good enough today. And tomorrow you may be better. And then forgiveness. I mean, we already talked about it. Forgiving others is often easier than forgiving ourselves. But it's part of the cure. And the other cure, and this is something that I've been a little bit interested in and, and done some of my own research on it because it relates to brains and brain development. There is this strange phenomenon that happens inside the brain. And I, I don't want to get all technical because that's not what this, this particular podcast is going to be about. But there's a, a part of the brain that develops a thicker film when we are altruistic, when we give just for the sake of giving, expecting nothing in return, not even necessarily hoping for anything in return, because sometimes that hope lulls us into later on, the expectation was unmet. But just to give for no other reason than I can. Altruism. So I gave you four components in the in what I, I would call the cure or the healing process of shame. And all of them individually are hard. And when you have to do all of them, it's, it's a journey that is sometimes one of the most difficult things that we encounter in our lives. Maybe the most difficult. So... As I'm looking back at what I just talked about with you, I think I've made a pretty good case that shame may in fact be one of the most destructive forces on the planet. Because anything, first of all, I think it's pretty easy to see that one of the most uh, capable things on the planet is the power of people, unified together, trusting, authentically moving in a direction. You get a group of people that move like music in this world. They just, they flow and it just works. And you see miracles happen. People are amazing. And anything that makes people feel like or experience a lack of belonging is taking away from the power that could come from that individual, right? I often will tell people one of, the, one of the things that's the hardest for me in watching somebody fail is not watching them fail. It's knowing that because they are making the mistakes that they're making, other people are missing out on their gifts and their love and their uh, kindness, and that's what happens with shame. Other people miss out on how amazing you, you listening right now, how amazing you actually are. Why? Because you're beating yourself up? Yeah, that's, that's so destructive. 
So let me tell you something else that I want to I, I want to get out before before I end this recording. Find some supports. Find some people that you can trust. Be patient with yourself. If you're feeling shameful, less than, be patient. And know that when we get deep, deep into that hole and we do find our way out, it's like coal being compressed. We turn to diamonds. We glow with a light you cannot even imagine if you're stuck in a dark spot. But when that sun hits you one day, oh my goodness, the beauty that's going to come from you, it's going to be amazing. The way to break that strangle is to get those supports. Forgive yourself. Love others altruistically. And it transforms everything. When we turn away from shame, we turn toward love, grace, and acceptance. Not just of ourselves, but of others. When we've been in that dark spot, we can love others like nobody's business because we know what it's like in some ways to be where they might be now, in a dark spot. It may be a different dark spot. But if we remember what that was like, man, we can embrace somebody like it's nobody's business. That was a tough one for some of you, I'm sure. Uh, I look forward to comments. Uh, please share this with friends. I, I would love more participation. I'm getting some participation, and that I appreciate. But share this with friends. Like it. Do, what, do whatever they do in social media land. Like, make, make this stuff reach people who need it. With that, I'm signing off. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll see you next time.